Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, January 10th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the Omicron variant of COVID-19 strains hospitals in the state. Then plans to build a mosque in Horn Lake will move forward. And what this year's legislative session could mean for incarcerated people in Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. COVID-19 case counts are exploding in Mississippi again. This time, the surge is driven by the ultra-infectious Omicron variant of the virus. Late last week, the state health department reported an all-time high of more than 7,000 new COVID cases in a single day. Mississippi's health care system is already feeling the pressure. Jim Craig is director of the state's Office of Health Protection. Um, some hospitals have been unable to find ICU spaces within the state. And at least a couple of patients have had to move out of state in their transfers. Tim Moore is president of the Mississippi Hospital Association. Staffing continues to be uh, one of the biggest issues. So that creates a, a limitation on the number of beds that are available. Thank goodness, with uh, if there is a silver lining to this, uh, the, um, the Omicron uh, appears to be less of a threat to admission as some of the, as certainly the Delta was. Uh, and when I say that, we are still having increased admissions, but not to the extent and severity that we saw with the Delta variant. What would be the difference? Because with Delta, we did have a lot of people uh, going into the hospital being seen. Omicron, as you mentioned, isn't as virulent, but we still have people going in the hospital. What are the symptoms? What's the difference? Oh, we'll have to get uh, some of our medical professionals to really get into that. It just from, from what I'm understanding, it's simply the severity of the illness is, is less. We are, we're sensing or we're finding a, an increased number of positive test results, but not resulting in severe symptoms or, um, or issues that will require hospitalization. So we've seen a huge increase in ER visits uh, and testing in the emergency room, uh, which I would encourage our folks to to go to the clinics uh, that are set up. I know the health department is, is also in the process of setting up and has set up additional testing sites to try to keep folks out of the emergency room because it really bogs everything down for patients that are critical. Um, had an opportunity actually over the, the holidays to spend some time in the emergency room and um, it, it was very concerned about being able to get a bed for a patient that, uh, that desperately needed one. So um, those are the kind of things that we need to be very mindful of. And, and certainly when we're sick and we're wanting to find out, and, and I've even had uh, people call me and tell me, well, all the clinics are backed up. There's lines getting test results, and it makes it very difficult. But the emergency room really should be the last resort uh, for something like that. Are hospitals having to use the emergency transfer system that they have been using previously? The system has not been put in place at this point in time. Typically, there would, they would be an emergency declared uh, in order to do that, to put the system of care in place. 
the hospitals are working among themselves and transferring patients. Um, I got a call mm, at the end of last week, and a patient had actually, uh, a hospital had made 10 calls to try to find a hospital to take a patient, and it was eventually sent out of state because we did not have that particular service available uh, among the 10 hospitals that were called. That's a concern, and, and that's more of a staffing issue than a, a, a bed issue. The physical bed is there, but the limitations that we have of having staff to, to, to provide care to patients in those beds has become much more restrictive than it was initially. How can we overcome this staffing shortage? Is it possible? It is possible, Desiree. It's going to take time. Um, uh, certainly, we can't fabricate nurses and, and other uh, caregivers overnight. So uh, hopefully, and we're working with the legislature to hopefully get additional funding to try to increase uh, certainly the size of, of, uh, of training programs or new training programs. Or the One of the issues that we have also is, is having clinical sites in hospitals uh, to train nurses, you know, we you still have to have a hospital involved to train medical personnel because that's where you see the patients. All the academic work, and and certainly there can be simulators and and other processes to help educate. But there's no there's no replacement for actually having a patient to work on and to work with and to serve. So that has been difficult because of the the shortage of staff in the hospitals to be able to have preceptors and clinical faculty to to be available to train new staff and new new nurses and, and other technicians. So one of the things we're looking at is how do we provide programs that can can educate additional faculty to to train nurses and then also preceptors. Uh, when I was coming through my clinical side we, we had preceptors that uh, was an individual that actually worked in the hospital and saw patients and cared for patients, but they, they basically served as a mentor. And they would teach and train hands-on to whatever that job was, whether it was a nurse or if it was a, a lab tech or a radiology um, respiratory. They, they worked with someone hand-in-hand hand so that they, they had a resource to depend on when they got in a bind. So that's what we've got to try to build that back and, and find the people that are willing to serve in those roles. That sounds like it will take some years to... Four or five years. Okay. All right. Are hospitals having to turn to travel nurses at this point? Uh, for those that, that can, uh, the cost, certainly, of our travel nurses, contract nurses, uh, is just more than most of our hospitals can uh, can afford, so that has caused a reduction uh, in in critical areas where they've had to do it. Uh, we've got a number of hospitals that are still utilizing travel agencies, uh, but um, that is part of the reason of of some of the decreases. And you know, we've had several facilities that have decreased the number of beds that they can can utilize because they've had to stop the travel nursing because there's no funding to cover it. And are we still seeing a lot of unvaccinated folks becoming hospitalized? We are. Uh, and that uh, I appreciate you asking that. And I, I was just reading 
an article, the uh, governor in Maryland uh, was very uh, um, outspoken in, in a very positive way from the approach, and it was his understanding that we cannot, we can't just manufacture nurses and, and other hospital personnel overnight. So, you know, whether you agree with the vaccine or not, it is still the best course of action that we have, uh, that we know of, that we can prove. And one of the comments that he said uh, in Maryland, 92% roughly of the population is vaccinated, yet 75% of the admissions in hospitals that's clogging up their hospital system are unvaccinated. Certainly there's going to be breakthroughs. We know that. And, you know, people tell me, why do I need to get vaccinated? won't get it anyway. Well, you, you may not get it, but if you do get it, it will be a much less severe case than you would have had you not been vaccinated, very likely. And, you know, the, the opportunity to keep you out of the hospital, particularly with the Omicron, uh, is, is very high, that you will not be hospitalized if you've had your vaccinations and boosters. It's working very well. Tim Moore with the Mississippi Hospital Association. Thank you so much. Thank you, Desiree. Always a pleasure. Coming up, plans to build a mosque in Horn Lake will move forward. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. A federal judge has ordered officials in Horn Lake to allow developers to move forward with the construction of a mosque in the city. Last year, a building permit for the Abraham House of God mosques was denied by Horn Lake's Planning Committee and the City Board of Aldermen. Officials publicly claimed they were concerned the facility would increase road congestion and violate noise ordinances. But Joshua Tom, who's legal director of the American Civil Liberties Union in Mississippi, says another motivation was at play. As we allege in the complaint and as um, the facts would have borne out, the anti-Muslim bias was uh, evident. You know, these other reasons for denial of the permit, noise, traffic, water pressure, were all without merit. Riyadh El Kayat is one of a pair of business partners involved in building the mosque. He speaks with MPB's Rob Lane. My family, I mean, it's not my family only, it's the whole community. I mean, the whole Muslim community in the Soro County, we do not have a place to worship. I mean, for us to go and do our worship or do you know, our prayers, we have to travel to Memphis. Uh, and it's inconvenient. I mean, that's almost, you know, 45 minutes, an hour drive each way. You know, like, a, you know, churches all over uh, my house. I mean, I can walk to two churches right now if I want to. So why cannot I have the same practice or the same feeling as any other Christian to go and just, you know, drive a couple of minutes, five minutes to my, my mosque to, to, you know, to practice my faith? So it is, it is needed. I mean, if, you know, if there was another mosque and they want to try to build another one, okay, yeah, maybe, okay, but there is no mosque in actually all North Mississippi, not just the Soda County. 
the whole North Mississippi uh, state. So uh, I don't think anything wrong with uh, us trying to build the mosque to be close to us. When you put forth this plan, when you bought the land, did you expect such resistance from the city or was that a surprise no, to you? No, no, actually, actually, before I bought the property, when I had a contract on it, I went, I met with the mayor and, and I met with the planning committee and I had a sketch of my, uh, what I wanted to do. And uh, I sat with the mayor and I told them, you know, I'm building a mosque and even we told them we're going to build the cemetery and uh, they said, you know, as long as everything within the guideline, there shouldn't be any problem. But, you know, I think, you know, what, what scared the committee to vote on it is, you know, like maybe 100 people came, 70 people came to the meeting, you know, when they had the meeting to, to discuss the mosque. And I think they just, uh, you know, from what people were saying, that if you let them if you give them the permit, you're not going to get our vote again uh, for the next term. And I think that's why all of them, they just denied it because they were worried about their seat. So essentially what you're saying is you felt that there was momentum towards making this happen before this public meeting was held in which it sounds like dozens of non-Muslim residents of Horn Lake showed up and voiced their opposition and sort of put pressure on on city officials is that is that what you're saying probably so yes because when i met with them when i met with the mayor and the, the planning committee before i even purchased the the plan they gave me the go ahead they said as long as everything within the guideline uh you know shouldn't be any problem and i heard i hired one of the most uh, respected engineering company and architect company to do everything the way it's supposed to and they did my plan they did all the engineering work need to be done and submitted my plan and you know got denied how does this fit in more broadly to your experience as a muslim in desoto county in north mississippi do you encounter explicit anti-Muslim sentiment as you feel you encountered here often, or was this an outlier for you? Was this did this come as a surprise? No, no. I, I honestly, I never felt. I mean, I, I mean, I have a lot of uh, friends from the community, a lot of good friends. I never experienced any racist. Maybe because they don't know I am a Muslim, but uh, uh, I honestly never had any issue me living in Mississippi for almost over 20 years. What message do you think this ruling sends to the city? And have you received any kind of a formal apology from any city officials? Do you expect one? I don't think the city is going to apologize. I highly doubt it. I mean, you know, we're excited. I mean, you know, uh, I think justice uh, revealed, you know, the, I'm glad we have the Constitution to protect you know, minorities like us, you know, the First Amendment to protect us. And uh, I mean, just as spoken. We're now looking at a situation where this is going to be able to move forward theoretically without further significant obstacles in the wake of this ruling. What What's this mosque going to look like and what can the Muslim community of DeSoto County expect to be able to enjoy in the coming years as this project comes together? Actually, I mean, I, uh, 
me and my partner, we already started uh, calling people and calling uh, the community and trying to form like uh, uh, some of the, like a board for the, the mosque to be able to go ahead with the, with the construction. Um, and really everybody's excited. I mean, all, all the families I know around here, they're excited. Their kids are excited. I mean, it's, it's something really we are, we are lacking. I mean, you know, in, in our religion, I think it's the same as Christianity. Like we do, like how you do Bible study, we do Quran study. I mean, it's done once or twice a week. That's something my kids never had to do. They were never able to do because it'll be difficult for me to go drive to Memphis, you know, to take them and bring them back. So I think, you know, there's a lot of joy uh, in all the families and especially the kids that they're going to be able to do these things where they can have activities doing like holidays where, where you know, they can gather and, uh, you know, do some uh, either Quran study or just play with each other or just learn some Arabic language and many things really we, we are missing and Everybody's excited about it. That's Riyad El Kayat of Horn Lake, Mississippi. Coming up, what this year's legislative session could mean for incarcerated people in Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. <laughs> 